Alright, so today uh, we're going to be taking a break from our series in John. We've, we've taken a number of breaks from our series in John lately. Um, but I was preparing for it and um, um, I thought we should take a break today and, and possibly for Advent. I'm not sure because we're going to get into Advent next week as we look forward to cr- cr- uh, Christmas. Um, you know, and the idea of Jesus' birth, but then also his return. Um, but I also wanted to kind of uh, focus a little bit on Thanksgiving today. And so, because we're four days away from Thanksgiving, uh, as I had mentioned earlier, and I just wanted to take a second, uh, and what are some of your favorite traditions with Thanksgiving? Anybody? Food. What kind of food, though? All kinds of food. Okay, so that's a good one. Uh, anybody else? Could be a specific food, could be a tradition. Family. All right. Family is a good one. I heard two people say it at the same time. Um, so that's confirmed. Was it? Welsh cakes. I didn't know what they were until this morning. And then David told me that he made some Welsh cakes and described them. And now it's all I can think about. Uh, and so uh, anybody else? Football. Yeah, it's a good day to kind of like sit there and, and eat food and feast and then rest. What was that? Feeding others that don't have anything. That's a good tradition to do as well, to kind of recognize um, that not everybody's in that, that same position. So, And that being said, just a reminder, tonight, what time is that again? Six o'clock, we'll be here and we'll have food. And so uh, everybody's welcome to come to that um, and, and join us in those things. What are some things that we're thankful for? With Thanksgiving? This is like one of those like tests that you know is coming up every year. Like you sit around the table and you're eating the food and then the question inevitably comes like, all right, let's go around the table. Who's thankful for what? We're not going to go around the whole room. Uh, I just thought if some people had some stuff on the top of their head. Being alive. Yes, especially with your story. Uh, if you have not heard Becky's story, she should not be here today, according to doctors a couple years ago. And, and now what is their, their statement? Like you were just telling us the other day. Cured. Like the doctor actually used the word cured, not remission, not like this, but like cured. And, and it's astounding them and us and God is good. So great one. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, thankful for that gentle, gracious nudging of conviction when we need it, and maybe not so gentle sometimes when we really, really need it. Uh, so that's a good one. Anybody else? Let's do one more. What are you thankful for? Freedom. Good one. Absolutely. The freedom to, to gather here, freedom within our country, uh, all of those things uh, we take for granted sometimes. Um, and in fact, I was, um, this, was it a week ago on Saturday, uh, was at a gathering at a gym, actually, uh, of Christians. And so it's a bunch of Christians that, like, show up at a gym, and we do kind of this workout together, and then we kind of go into some small groups. And they had questions, and I thought the workout was hard uh, until they started asking the questions. And, and like, one of the questions is, like, um, what's something that you take for granted that you should be thankful for? It's like, oh, that's a lot harder than just what are you thankful for? Uh, and so something to kind of contemplate uh, as you consider maybe answering those questions later this week. This was a little practice ahead of time. 
But uh, as a child, uh, I remember learning the history of Thanksgiving. You know, uh, you draw those pictures in kindergarten, like you put your hand like on the page and you just kind of like draw the outline of it. And then you paste some feathers on and, you know, there's your turkey. Uh, the different things that you would do getting ready for Thanksgiving, learning the history with, with pilgrims uh, and everything. And then we sometimes forget um, what this whole history is. Uh, we get focused on food and family and friends uh, or even just the travel, like how many hours do we have to put in this week to go over here and over there, uh, that we kind of forget um, that origin of Thanksgiving, or at least I do. And I didn't even realize it until I looked it up and found out the date that this happened. Um, so the traditionally recognized first Thanksgiving uh, was November of 1621, which then makes what this year? the 400th anniversary uh, or the celebration of Thanksgiving. So 400 years ago, like this was just wilderness um, and, and, you know, people were starting to, to do this. But uh, so Thanksgiving, just kind of a little synopsis of this. They, they had uh, traveled across uh, the ocean in order to, to come here and to try and colonize. Um, through that first brutal winter, most of the colonists actually remained on board the ship. Uh, and so like winter is raging in the northeast and they're, they're huddled, uh, freezing on these boats. Uh, and they suffered from exposure, scurvy, outbreaks of disease. Only half of the Mayflower's original passengers and crew uh, lived to see that next spring. Um, as they're dealing with this hardship, they, they found uh, gracious help uh, through some of the natives that had been living here. Um, and unfortunately, the, the story goes poorly um, later on in our history and some of the things that happened with that. Um, but at this time, um, one of the natives named Squanto uh, reached out. He had been taken captive by the English before, had lived in England, learned how to speak English, uh, was able to get back. Uh, and so he recognized these people coming. And, and in true grace and true mercy, he then decides to help. Like, like okay, here they are, the, the very people, <laughs> the type of people that had captivated me and took me as a slave over there now they're here and they're starving and they're dying because they don't know how to live here and so in grace and mercy he teaches them um, how to cultivate corn to extract sap from maple trees maple syrup i love maple syrup uh, i'm so glad we learned how to do that uh, to catch fish in the rivers, to avoid poisonous plants. I, I always wondered, how do you figure out like a plant's poisonous? Right? You're like really, really hungry and you're both looking at a plant and, or these berries and you're like, well, you try it. No, no, you try it. Uh, and then it's like a game of chicken, you know, where you run at each other and see who turns first. This is more like, well, who's more hungry and eats the berry first? Uh, and then you kind of wait and see like, is everything Okay. Like, somebody had to go through that in the first place. Um, but he taught the pilgrims uh, what the poisonous plants were. In November of 1621, uh, after the pilgrims' first corn harvest proved to be successful, uh, the governor, William Bradford, organized uh, this celebratory feast about 400 years ago. Uh, and so it's kind of hard for us at times, like, to imagine the difficulties uh, that they had gone through uh, but then also to imagine, like, 
what is their level of thankfulness at that first feast? Like again, their first winter is on a boat in the ocean or in a harbor. Half of the people you know died over that course of that winter. Then you land on and you don't know whether or not people are going to be hostile to you, um, how to actually like farm in a new climate, in a new location. And then you get grace and mercy through this tribe and they teach you everything and, and through them you're able to actually survive. And then you sit down and have this absolute celebration of gratefulness for the fact of being alive, being able to survive, being able to, to face the next winter uh, and have hope for the future. And as we celebrate Thanksgiving this year, we may not be in the same dire need as those original pilgrims were, uh, but we can rejoice and celebrate in the provisions that we have received, in acknowledging that God is our provider, that, that all things come through him, uh, even our ability to work, whether it's the strength of our backs, the wisdom of our minds, is a gift from him uh, as we do these things. Uh, and I thought Dale did a great job uh, a couple weeks ago doing two different messages on the concept of God being our provider and us needing to trust in him and to seek the kingdom first uh, out of Matthew 6. And I'll just read this again. Where it says, don't worry about what we will eat, what we will drink, or what we will wear. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But f seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Uh, and so we're told to trust him in this provision, uh, that he supernaturally takes care of our needs. Again, that's not our wants, it's not our desires, it's, it's not even our preferences at times. You know, what color car do we want? You know, first world troubles that we have. Uh, but he promises to take care of our needs. Uh, and so we need to be grateful for this, but not just on one day a year, uh, but actually ongoing. And as we look in Scripture, we actually find that as followers of Christ, we're actually commanded to always be grateful. We'll turn to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be there, uh, a couple different passages in this. We're going to jump to John 15 a little bit later. Uh, again, the verses will be on the screen. Uh, but beginning in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let the graciousness be known to everyone. Now, we just read through that, and we're like, rejoice in the Lord always. Like, rejoice. And it's almost like this, come and rejoice with me. But when we look at the original language, uh, the word rejoice here uh, in Greek is written as an imperative command. Uh, it's conjugated in a certain way. You take the word, and uh, the older languages, Latin is included, and, and Greek. Um, but you have the, the root word that means rejoice. But depending on the things that you stick in front of the word or on the back of the word to, to create the word, it changes its tone. And this is one of those words uh, where it's done in what's called uh, an imperative conjugation. And what that really means is it's a command. It's telling you what you should do. And so as Paul's writing this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's not just a, a welcoming like encouragement. Would you come rejoice with me? But instead, he's saying, you, rejoice. I, I say it again, rejoice in the Lord always. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. 
Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if we think of rejoicing as a command, it's a little off-putting when you first think of it. Like, I think back to being a kid uh, when it comes time for like Christmas and, and things like that and you get your gift from your grandparents and you're like so excited and like you're, you're tearing into the gift. Uh, what is one thing that your parents would often then tell you? Say thank you. <laughs> like that little nudge and like say thank you. And so it's like, oh, thank you. Like you're actually grateful, but there's like that nudge of like, hey, remember, you're supposed to do this. This idea of, of rejoicing is, is like, well, I want to rejoice when I'm happy. I want to rejoice when I'm excited. I, I want to rejoice when I'm enjoying something. So why is somebody saying that I have to rejoice? How can you command to rejoice? And, and what God is doing here is telling us through this command to his followers saying, this is the way you ought to live. For if you live this way, then, in verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's not just the nudge, like you ought to say thank, you know, thanks to your grandparents. You ought to say thank you for this gift. But he's actually connecting this all together. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. So thanksgiving connected to rejoicing in this. Present your requests to God. So we all have worries. We all have anxiousness about things. Things that we're angry about. Things that we're fearful about. We have those things, and, and if we're not careful, they can buffet us around in this life. And what God is saying here is, is he's commanding that, that if you live out of a heart of rejoicing, if you live out of a heart of thankfulness, and then you bring these worries and concerns to God, but you do it with thankfulness and, and rejoicing, then in verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. That peace comes from living out of rejoicing. The peace comes from being thankful for these things and trusting for God to take care of everything else. We often pray for this peace that surpasses all understanding, but we don't often connect it with the idea of we need to be in a rejoicing, thankful mindset in order for that to link. Because that's what causes the peace. We're facing trials and difficulties in this world, and it can feel almost impossible to overcome. But, but as we face those things, if we do it with the mindset of, well, God's already done this, and God's already done that, and I'm grateful for this, and I'm grateful for that, and, and here's his promise, and here's how he's helped me in the past before, and, and we rejoice over everything that he's done. We remember what this very verse says, the Lord is near. So then as I face these worries and these concerns, I can bring it to him with the mindset of the Lord is near. 
and he is my helper. And we have this peace that is beyond our understanding because of our trust in him. Now, I'm guessing uh, that the pilgrims uh, were attempting to do this uh, as well as they're working the land. And they came because they wanted some religious freedom. uh, And so most likely they're praying and asking God and and trying to trust him uh, as they worked and toiled, planned, hoped, planted, uh, tried to harvest. uh, And what they were hoping is that the things that they planted would produce fruit. And if it didn't produce fruit in their life... Um, their hope was lost, and and death was coming. They needed that to produce fruit. Again, as we mentioned before, uh, as we celebrate Thanksgiving, uh, and we contemplate their dire need, uh, and then the rejoicing celebration that they have as we come together uh, in Thanksgiving, uh, we maybe feel separated, uh, unable to to truly relate uh, with their plight. Uh, and if that's the case, I think we're looking at this situation uh, just entirely with uh, human eyes, with, with a human standard. We're, we're comparing hunger, physical hunger, physical need, to, to our physical hunger, our physical need, um, and, and it doesn't quite relate because we're not living in a situation where if the corn doesn't sprout and then doesn't live through the season— we're not going to make it through the winter. We have woodmans. We, most of our corn comes in a can or a freezer bag, you know, through the winter. Um, and so we're not in a similar situation. However, if we consider this uh, in a spiritual sense, that in our lives we work and we toil, we plot and we plan and we hope that the efforts of our life will be good enough that it will produce fruit, that our lives mean something. And if it doesn't produce fruit, what is there? If we go through this life without any spiritual consideration of God and we do the best that we can, what does it matter? in the light of eternity. And so we find that ourselves in this life, that without God, without his help, we are in a dire situation. And we desperately need help. It's not the situation of the pilgrims where they found grace and help through Squanto that that led to them being able to learn how to produce fruit uh, and, and vegetation and to be able to live that way. But without God... We're facing an eternity in hell separated from him because no matter what our efforts, no matter how much toil, strife, no matter how much we plot, plan, and hope that what we do will be good enough, that what our lives are matters in the light of eternity, it simply does not because those efforts are never good enough in order to reach the standard for holiness in eternity with God. Because of the sinful nature of humankind, the harvest of our lives in our own strength is woefully inadequate. But God in his grace and his mercy, Jesus Christ came down to this earth in order to live a perfect life, to fulfill all the requirements, to to be absolutely holy and without sin, willingly dying in our place to pay for our sins. 
resurrected three days later in order to pave the way for, for new life for us, to be adopted by the one who spoke all things into existence. It's like we were spiritual pilgrims sitting on a boat wondering if we're going to survive. And God comes and rescues us. He puts it this way. Jesus himself in John 15, uh, verse 4. He says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch, or us, cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, being Jesus, neither can you bear fruit by yourself unless you abide in me. No matter our efforts in this life, and if it was without Christ, those efforts result only in temporary things. We can bend all of our strength, all of our will, all of our intellect into accomplishing something here on this earth. And regardless of our sense of success, we could be wildly successful and earn all of the money or we can strive and strive and strive and barely scrape things together. It's not enough for all of eternity because all of those efforts are bent towards something that's temporary, whether it's successful or not. But the good news is, is that regardless of our intellect, regardless of our efforts, regardless of whether or not we're successful on this earth or, or we struggle all of our life, the good news is that's not what gets us into God's love and gets us uh, into grace and mercy forever with him. The only thing that does that is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And all he asks of us is to trust him. To, to fully submit to him, and then he does the rest. He takes us out of darkness. He, he adopts us in love as his sons and daughters. He gives us an eternal purpose in our life, and then he equips us to do the work that he's called us to do, and then he promises to take care of our needs regardless of what happens here on this earth. The good news is that through God's grace, his provision is enough. His rescue is total, and it changes the whole reason for our life. It creates a thanksgiving uh, that is not based on our earthly circumstances. Paul acknowledges this in Philippians 4. So, so again, we're just reading that section where it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but through prayers with thanksgiving, rejoice. I say again, rejoice. Offer these requests to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will be yours in Christ Jesus. We're looking at that passage just a few verses later. He says this in verse 10. So these thoughts are connected. Verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. So this is the church in Philippi uh, that was helping Paul out uh, financially. You were concerned uh, about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. So they had wanted to help, but some circumstances prevented it. Verse 11, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now that last section is one of those verses that we hear a lot, right? Like, like somebody is coming into a, a difficult situation. I can do all things through Christ who works in me. It's 
printed on basketball players' shoes and, and things like that. And, and there's an aspect of that. But within the context of this passage, he's saying, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, whether things are going great or things are going really, really terrible. Whether I have everything I need or I'm hungry. And when he says hungry here, I don't think he's talking about like, you know, it's almost lunchtime and I kind of had a light breakfast. Uh, and, and so I'm getting a little hungry. I think he's talking about not having food available to him. And in all situations, he's learned the secret of being content. What's the secret? Verse 13, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. And the secret pointing back, rejoice. I say again, rejoice. That whatever circumstance we find ourselves, we come with thanksgiving to God and then we, we give him our worries and our cares and our anxieties with thanksgiving. That's the secret to being content. Because if we only ever focus on what our needs are, what our problems are, what our difficulties are, it's easy to drown in those things. I don't have enough money here for this. My, my house isn't where I don't have a house. Uh, whatever it might be. My, my family situation is difficult. And if we only ever focus on those things, and if we only ever pray about those things, that's the only thing that we're looking at, and it feels like it's surrounding us. But the secret to having the peace that transcends all understanding, the secret of being content is to acknowledge those things, but with rejoicing and thanksgiving for all the other things that God has done and trusting that he will work in the current situation as well. Maybe not as fast as we like, but he promises in Romans that he will work out all things for the good of those who love him. We don't know. It may not be our preference how that works out, but he promises it's going to be for our good as we're called to his purposes. And so we trust. But why do we trust? Because we rejoice. Because we acknowledge what he's done, that he's been faithful, that his promises have come true, that his promises has worked within our lives before. My question for us is as we consider Thanksgiving and we consider the things that we're thankful for, I think a lot of times what initially comes to our mind are temporary things that we're thankful for. Thankful for the roof over my head. Um, I don't know where that roof's going to be in 200 years, especially since my house was over 100 years old already. So it's a temporary roof. Uh, thank you that we have food on the table. Uh, that'll be gone in like two hours, and maybe you'll have some turkey for lunch the next day. Right? I'm thankful for my family. Um, we're all temporary on this earth, and, and people die and relationships break. And it's a good thing to be faith thankful for. It's a good thing to be thankful for the food on our table. It's a good thing to be thankful for the roof over our head, for the things that God has provided for us. But I think too often when we consider the things that we're thankful for, we only acknowledge the things that are tangible, the things that are kind of right in front of us. But what if we decided to also be grateful for, to be thankful for, and acknowledge not just on one day a year, but in our lives, as God has commanded to us in Philippians 4 to rejoice, to say again, rejoice in the Lord. 
that we're thankful and we rejoice over the eternal truths that actually shape our reality for all of eternity and not just for our temporary time here. That we're made in God's image. That, that on anything else in all of creation, as God spoke all things into existence, from the blade of grass to the ant that's crawling on it, to the elephant that stomps on the ant, to the blue whale in the ocean, to the birds in the sky, to the sun, the moon, and the stars, uh, the millions of different variations of those things. Only one thing he created in his image. Mankind. Men and women. Let's be grateful for that. He has given us uh, an honored privilege to be his image bearers on this earth and in our lives. Adam and Eve sinned, brought darkness into the world, and Jesus called us out of that darkness. If you're here today and Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, and you walk with a purpose and identity that you could never attain to on your own strength. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, He's calling you to that same thing. Be mine, follow me, trust me, and I'll take care of you for all of eternity and give you a new life, a new purpose, a new identity. We'll wash you white as snow. What you've done up until this point does not matter. You can be forgiven because of the blood of Christ was enough, even if you don't believe it. It was enough. Through that, he rescued us from hell. That's something to be thankful for. Adopted us as sons and daughters. Uh, calls us more than conquerors. Gives us uh, authority over the demonic in order to do spiritual war. Calls us into the service of the king. Tells us in Hebrews that there's going to be a day that we judge angels. Like, how, when's the last time you're like, God, thank you that I'm going to get to judge angels? Like, that's a weird thing to say. It may be weird for you to hear, but it's in Hebrews. Right? Lord, thank you for the sweet potato and marshmallow because it tastes great. Thank you that you have given me authority over the demonic and that I can judge angels and that I get to be with you for the next million, billion, trillion times, 10 to the... 45th power, and then more. Let's, both, let's be thankful for both, right? But the one that causes us to rejoice always isn't the sweet potatoes with marshmallows because that will be gone and maybe we'll be bloated afterwards. Right? I, I'm just saying, like sweet potatoes and marshmallows will not keep us rejoicing in whatever circumstance. If that's what we put our rejoicing in, it's temporary. Same thing with family. It's one of the things we're thankful for at this time of year, and we ought to be. But if we put all of our hopes, all of our strength, all of our, our source of rejoicing simply on family, what happens if somebody betrays us? What happens when your spouse dies or your children die or your parents die? It now becomes a source of mourning and not rejoicing. And the Bible tells us that we ought to mourn. 
that we should mourn. Jesus, that one of the shortest verses in the whole Bible is when Jesus hears about Lazarus' death and it simply says, Jesus wept. But it was a bitter weeping. It was a mourning weeping. And so if he bases his joy on his friendship with Lazarus, how do you then mourn and rejoice at the same time? Because it says rejoice always. If we can anchor what we truly rejoice in, in things that are not of this world, but anchored in eternity, when the things of this world shake and shift or die or break, we are in a constant state of rejoicing because what God has done, how he's rescued us out of darkness, how we have a hope for all of eternity, even though we're going on a bumpy ride right now. Then we can rejoice and mourn at the same time. And as we mourn, our world is not crumbling because it's on the foundation of rejoicing in Christ. Everything else may feel like it falls apart, but that foundation that we stand on is still there. And so therefore, we do not fall apart as we rejoice in Christ. What if we acknowledged and rejoiced for these eternal things more often? I think it would impact our daily reality and the choices that we make. It would give us peace that transcends all understanding, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And I think that we would actually acknowledge and feel God's love more because we're focusing on it. We're acknowledging and we're grateful for it instead of just looking at the things surrounding us that feel difficult. We focus on those things. We find the true meaning of thanksgiving and that it's not in something temporary. We celebrate those things also as we're going to do it this week. But as we go into this week, let's also do it with eternal sense, eternal purpose, and eternal gratitude for all that he has done for us. Later tonight, we're going to come back. And, and we're going to have a time to be able to eat together. Um, we're going to have some questions. Uh, and I'd like you to be thinking throughout the day, um, like what are some of these eternal things that you're grateful for so that we can share those with one another? Maybe we'll have a time with a microphone. Maybe it'll be at the tables. I'm not sure how that'll play out. Uh, but it's kind of a challenge uh, for myself and for us uh, to be able to come and declare those things and then to worship and to be in Thanksgiving. This is our Christian Thanksgiving tonight. This is our sense, like we'll do it with our families as well, but this is our spiritual family. Let's have thanksgiving unto the Lord tonight. I invite you to come back to that. Father, we come before you. Uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, for your truth, for your eternal truth. Uh, I thank you for the command to rejoice always. Uh, even though it can be counterintuitive for us because it's hard to rejoice when things feel so difficult uh, until we acknowledge what you're truly talking about. That the secret to being content in all circumstances, the secret to having the peace that transcends all understanding, is in rejoicing over what you have done and that you're coming back and that our situation, no matter how hard it is right now, it is only temporary in the light of the next thousand years let alone the next 10 million. And Lord, we give you praise and glory and honor for that, for you have conquered all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.